I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello and welcome. Or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I am your very temporary host, Jack Pitbrook. Uh, your real host, Ed Malian, has just walked through the door. Invaded almost. Uh, and now he's taking the microphone from me. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Um, I'm today we're joined by Miguel Delaney. Say hello, Miguel. Hello. And Jonathan Liu, currently eating his lunch. All right. Um, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the weekend's football on and off the pitch, or rather uh, on the pitch sportingly and on the pitch in a kind of non-sporting sense. Um, and then we're and then we're going to get previewing the Champions League action, um, but we'll start off at the Emirates Stadium yeah. where Miguel and I were at yesterday. Um, not a great game, Miguel. What did you think? Um, it was a bit of a strange game, and one of those where yeah, I, I, it wasn't that impressive as a as a spectacle. But one of those where actually both teams could feel they deserve to win almost because I think Arsenal were brilliant for the first twenty five, and I think as Solskjaer admitted afterwards, once they got the goal from that spell and that strange Xhaka uh, shot, that was where the game was won. But then United kind of switched up. Because, I mean, Emery completely outdid Solskjaer tactically from the start. But Solskjaer responded well. United were very good, and just when it looked like they were the better team, they gave away that stupid penalty. Um, it w- but weirdly, it was actually one of United's better performances against the big six or top teams, and one of the ones they lost. Is it time to start pointing out how Emery is getting really good at sort of setting up for these kind of one-off games? I mean, it's now... Two games against Spurs, which one, one he won and one he should have won. Home game against Chelsea. Um, he he's, he's seems to be getting, you know, he seems to be very good well, at, at setting up for for one-off games. He's, he's a good tactical manager. And I, and I think this is a whole thing with Emery as well. I mean, why he was almost such a good Europa League manager and why the arguments maybe in his level has always been maybe that just that tier below the absolute top clubs is because he's very good at reacting to what others do rather than necessarily imposing his own game in the way that, is the kind of the standard for top clubs now, and that represents a massive change from Wenger, who of yeah. course famously would never do anything like this. Yeah, would, completely, and would ne- and would never cater for any opponents, or would never um, would would never do anything beyond be, beyond how he how he wants to approach. Just go out and enjoy yourselves, lads. Yeah, yeah. it's the, the classic. Um, we have this joke that in in press conferences, one of the worst questions that people can ask is, "Have you got any special plans?" Mm. Uh, and yet, Wenger was a manager who never had any special no, no. plans. And Emery, in contrast, is a manager who seems to have a special plan more often than not. Yeah. Uh, even even you know what whatever other criticisms you might have of him and how Arsenal season is going mm. on this front, they are as Johnny said, they have they have been doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Also, one, maybe one thing to say as well, I've seen this pointed out that um, their worst run basically coincided with that uh, defensive injury crisis, and they've had good results naturally of either side of that. So maybe. Some of the criticism was I think the defence uh, benefited an awful lot yesterday from not having Scott and Mustafi in it. Uh, I thought they were much stronger. Uh, Emery said afterwards that it was good that they had cool heads, which, I mean, you can read that as a sort of criticism of Mustafi if you want to, but they were much more solid. Do you think United um, weren't actually that bad? It was just, I thought they were pretty unlucky, kind of, in the way that they were incredibly lucky on Wednesday night with the big PSG game. 
this was kind of one of those games where it was basically a couple of things just went against them in the in the moment and that was it the whole game swiveled on that yeah there's been a lot of talk about that on online in the last few days about whether or not united have now reverted to the mean <laughs> and all the kind of good luck they've enjoyed has now has basically been reversed this weekend <laughs> Uh, because they weren't like you say they were pretty good. They made it, Solskjaer made a good change after half an hour going going to a back three system, which gave them a lot of stability. And on another day, they would have taken one of their chances. Like Lukaku, as you said, was pretty ropey in the box. Yeah. And on, on another day, they would have equalised. Maybe probably from there gone on to win it. So I don't think it was like especially damning about Manchester United that they lost this game. No, no. I think I think generally, in fact, the performance actually points to better for the longer term than some of their wins. Some of their lucky wins. Well, I would say if you're if you're lis- if you're listening and you've heard about this uh, argument on the internet about whether or not United were good and you're curious about it, please don't read about it. <laughs> it, it, it. It will only decrease the sum total of knowledge about football in your brain. So if you get any arguments about XG, I think on this front, in particular, best avoided. Um, XG, you know, you know, very 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 useful tool. It was whose proponents. Obviously, um, right at this moment, are um, used by a lot of very useful tools. Yeah, <laughs> but right at this moment, you know, obviously um, they're p- promoting the the use of our coldly analytic uh, analysis, or sorry, cold, coldly an- analytic view football over maybe the romance or emotion involved with Solskjaer. And yet they've not, they've not re- uh, responded in the most coldly analytical way to uh, some of the mildest... Well, no, th- this is the thing. This is why the, the criticism that, that stats and, and analytics kind of takes the romance and <laughs> takes the fire out of the game is, is, is so so off the mark. For, the, for a lot of people, this stuff really gets their, their juices flowing. Yeah. It really turns them on. And so, you know, look, looking at, a, at an XG graph or an XG table or expected assist, that's the stuff that, that gets them off, basically. <laughs> and so... For, you know, everybody sees it. You know, everybody takes different things out of football, and and for some people, you know, this this is what what floats their boat. Um, it's just a very dull debate, though, isn't it? Um, so I'd just like to interject with some breaking news. We should have some sort of noise for breaking news, but I don't have one. Zinedine Zidane will be returning to Real Madrid tomorrow as their new coach. Uh, that, instant that. reaction from El Dell. Actually, the one thing about that is when I saw it just because we were coming in. Thanks, El Dell. I like that. Um, <laughs> I wonder is, is one of the reasons that Dan is returning basically because uh, Perez is willing to be, to complete the overhaul as Dan thought was necessary last year. I mean, uh, it, it, it has to be right. The yeah. Thing, the interesting thing is it all came out two o'clock. I was literally I just had to dash downstairs and I saw El Chiringuito. Um, which is a, a nightly, yeah. a very popular nightly show with strong links to Real Madrid. They had published it as a big exclusive at three on their three pm show, Hugones, um, and then immediately two radio stations followed it up, which made me think that th- this is not just a, it's not a shot in the dark, which yeah, yeah, yeah. the Madrid press are, are partial to. This is real. Uh, Solari will be sacked today, Monday. So by the time you uh, listen to this, you're probably already. Um, already aware that Solari's gone, but Zidane coming back is weird because I guess it solves the one problem, which was how on earth is he going to find another job and do well in another Mm. job? Because we kind of wondered that, you know, he'd gone in at Real Madrid, finessed an already Champions League ready squad to just go over the top and win three in four years, what was it, four and five years? Yeah. And now you're looking at it and it's like, okay, well, he's got a completely different job 10 months after leaving because it's a, a full rebuild at yeah. Real Madrid but he's going to be doing it with a lot of money and stuff so it'll be interesting to see how, how Zidane does 
how do you feel about this, uh, Johnny and Jack? Are you are you happy it's him or are you disappointed? You want to see someone new up there? I think it, I mean one thing that that it underlines to me is just just how little imagination there is at Madrid. <laughs> I mean, it, when, was the, when was the last appointment? Well, they did they did one like I was told quite. Um, but quite very good source last week that they did. Klopp would have been the ideal because they really like they genuinely like the way he he puts smiles back on on, on faces. And not 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 a cliche, an actual quote. Um, but obviously that w- they were ne- that was really a, a non-runner to be honest. Yeah, They're never going to get him. Can you can you think of two coaches more different for the, the, mm. than Klopp and Zidane? Yeah. I mean, what, what's the idea? Well, I would have thought they'd eventually go for Allegri. I have to say, I thought that was the one that made most sense because it kind of feels like he's kind of running out of steam at Juventus a little bit, or that kind of there's a bit of stagnation there. And he just kind of just fits at Madrid, but yeah. instant Premier League reaction. I have to say this is very bad news for Chelsea um, because Zidane, for a long time, has, has claimed that Eden Hazard is is up there with Messi and Ronaldo, and was the, one of the key drivers behind the pursuit of Hazard last summer. Um, to the point where I think Hazard's admitted, doesn't he, that he was he went to the World Cup set to determined to leave Chelsea for Real Madrid. Um, obviously, it never happened, but. I think it's going to happen this year and it looks almost certain that it, it will be the burnabout for him. Uh, Zidane was Azard's favourite player as a boy, uh, even though he's obviously Belgium. Uh, there were like lots of photos doing the rounds of him in the Zidane 10 France shirt from, I think, the 2002 World Cup. Is, is this like a, is this a short-term appointment? Is this just till the end of the season of, for now? Or, well, they're or all short-term appointments around Madrid. Um, I I don't know. Let me just... I, 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 I'm I, I just reading one of these well, stories. He, he's basically he's going to be the man to oversee the, the new era. He has to be. He yeah. has to be. Uh, and so, what? I mean, what ends up with six European cups. Sit down. I mean, what would you do in the new era? He's going to go out there and he's going to try and buy Neymar or try and buy. I mean, Mbappe's already said that he's not going anywhere this year. But it, it it's a it's a big squad which well, needs. If I was them, I wouldn't buy Neymar and I'd invest. The more, they could get three almost equally good players for the price of Neymar. So you you you'd uh, go Ericsson, Hazard, Hazard, and, yeah. and one more. Yeah, some striker they need probably. Joao, Joao Felix is is, is the one him him and Bruno Fernandez uh, are probably going to be the big signings out of Portugal this summer. Um, I'd rather much rather have Bruno Fernandez, I think. But uh, this doesn't actually say how long he's going to take. It's not uh, yet. It's not yet signed or completely outlined. But the wish of Zidane is to be the new Madrid coach again. As far as Radio Copa has been able to find out, Florentino Perez has promised Zidane that the club will invest uh, what a, a strong economic effort uh, and will offer him a sporting project for the medium term. So well, the medium term. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that squad, which has been so, you know, basically so stable for the last five or six years, really does need a bit of a, a revamp. I mean, if you think Bale's coming coming up to 30, he's going to be 30 this year. Yeah, he is, yeah. Uh, you know... Marcelo, by all counts, has had a, a really, really awful season. Uh, Ramos will need replacing in the next two or three years. Gross will need replacing in the next two or three years. Um, I mean, this is this is a, a team that's probably like a, a couple of years at least past its peak. And it needs a huge amount of surgery, and and there hasn't been a huge amount over the last few years. If you, I mean, I was looking at their transfers. Basically, the last three or four seasons, they've barely even added starting eleven players. Mm. It has been a phenomenally settled squad. Uh, perhaps that's not the the best thing for them, but uh, they've had their success and they're going to try and bring it back by uh, returning to Zinedine Zidane. Uh, and that's the end of our breaking news segment. Um, do you want to go back to Arsenal Man United or do you want to move on to the other big game on Sunday which attracted headlines? 
Yeah, you read my mind. I think I think actually the biggest story of the weekend was uh, in the championship at St Andrews, uh, where the other interloper um, suddenly bursting into the seat. It just didn't work. It doesn't work. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what happened. Uh, Miguel's written on it this morning for us very well. Um, I guess the first. I mean, there's a few. There's a, lots of different questions. I guess the first question is like. Oh yeah, we should say the uh, the fan himself w- has pled guilty to it today. Yeah, he'll be sentenced this afternoon. Um, what's it? Paul Mitchell, twenty-seven year old from uh, a, a village in Worcestershire. It kind of M- Miguel's piece, if you've read it, 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 you know, is about kind of how it reflects the problems in society, and it kind of does. I kind of look at this, and it's like this guy used to be manager of a bar, and now he's unemployed, and. Now he's going to have a criminal record and everyone knows his name as, as the guy who punched Jack Grealish. He's probably not going to get a job after this because he'll have a criminal record and all that sort have of you, stuff. Have we seen Bielsa's quote? Yeah, yeah. Did I this, thought Bielsa's quote did, was this, quite good. This is actually... Um, <laughs> kind of nails it, right? Yeah. The person who does the thing we saw yesterday expresses a series of frustrations which are not necessarily linked to football because the more satisfied you are with your personal life, the less you need to do this kind of act. The thing about Bielsa is he's been one of the, the best people speaking on the problem with violence in Argentinian football, which, of course, uh, you witnessed firsthand yeah. um, at the Copa Libertadores final. Um, and no one listens to him in Argentina because they don't want to deal with the problem. Mm. But he's right. And, you know, it comes down to a lot of things. I <coughs> I, I think the societal stuff that you wrote about is, is spot on. And I think people will write about that in, in greater depth. For me, I think football for a lot of people is kind of a, a bit of a safe space, a bit of an escape where... Certainly when I was in my late teens and I was doing a lot of away games, I remember you just get, you know, like you're drinking from like 8, 9 a.m. and then you're getting really drunk and you're shouting loads of abuse at players, basically. And you, you think that you're invisible because you're just one in a crowd and you can get away with it. I remember someone called me up for uh, basically giving Danny Butterfield loads of stick and he was like, you know, that's one of our players. And it's like, right, but he's playing rubbish. I want Klein in the team. And then... You re- what were you saying to him? I can't even remember. It was, it was general abuse. I, I, I think I definitely called him a number of swear words. And it's like, uh, some, you know, someone kind of called me out on it and I was a, bit, a little bit... Lock your ideas up, Mr. Butterfield. <laughs> yeah. I was a, you know, you're like a little bit like uh, embarrassing stuff. But I think that there are lots of people who, you know, football is an escape for many reasons. For many people, it's like a tradition. You just go with, you go, you've always gone with your dad. Or for some people, it's a nostalgic thing. For some people, it's an escape from the mind, like Monday to Friday, nine to five, but you just go with your kid. You go, you enjoy it, you come home. And then there are people, I think, who do it because they just want an escape from what is modern life. And it's, and it's people like this. And it's like, you know, that is the societal aspect is there are so many kind of issues that we're not dealing with now because we've got this like two year long Brexit disaster that there are things that just aren't being fixed in society and I think part of it comes from that part of it comes from the fact that also the stewarding and policing was pretty pitiful at St Andrews I don't understand how that happens and we're looking at a a game where you know there's always going to be trouble Birmingham Villa and the reaction was, was so poor the response was so poor the policeman waiting on the side to take the guy away. You know, we didn't see him for forty-five right, seconds. I mean, this kind of stuff is this has always been the case. Stewarding at football and, and, and policing has always been piss poor. And and there's there's all you know a lot of these issues. And, and, and unless I've I'm, I've got a, you know uh, an erroneous reading of history here, this this kind of thing is pretty much unprecedented. We don't we don't. We, we but, but but that's why I think it's unprecedented. But that almost creates it. So it's a new problem mm-hmm. which almost creates requires a new solution. Now and maybe it does emphasize what, what you've just touched on there. The fact that given the amount of money in football, 
the the nature of stewarding it, it actually almost it seems half arsed really and cheat on the cheap right we've and yeah we've seen crowd invasions yeah. but you know a lone guy running onto the pitch to punch a player I I don't I can't remember that being a very common occurrence in the in but the what's past. the motivation if you're a steward um, you're on a zero hours contract or not even a contract at all you're just a casual worker getting paid per shift probably not very much money you're not why would you put your body on the line for for anything? Well, 150 stewards aren't on, you know, can't can't police 25,000 people. That's just that's just numbers. Uh, I, you know, the best check on human behaviour has always been other humans. The, the the best check on feral fans has always been their peer group. And if you think about all the checks and balances that would would are supposed to prevent an incident like this. You know the disapproval of of uh, you know his fellow fans, or <clears throat> you know even if it goes back to things like you know mental health spending. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 ties in society that that create a kind of shared morality. Yeah. Not none of those seem to be in place anymore. They all seem to be breaking down in 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 various for various reasons and at varying paces. Well, just in relation to the steward, well, I agree with that. But just in relation to the steward in point, first of all, uh, Christopher Thomas Caddy responded to my piece on Twitter earlier and, and did say this: "I used to work as a steward at Man City when at uni. No one took their job seriously. No one was going to take a punch for such little pay. I quit after a Manchester derby. Then we, when we, not the police, were put in between both sets of angry fans, and I was hit by a coin, which does kind of—I mean, obviously that's an extreme example." But it does touch on the issue of... Uh, right, but you know, stewarding... Uh, steward, it touches touch on the initial security issue. Then there's a wider issue of... Well, poor stewarding doesn't doesn't cause a guy Oh, no, to no, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that is... But in that sense, in, ter- in terms of what we're saying about the, the ties, the binds, the, um, you know, the, the self-policing nature, it is why I actually think in this case... And this maybe feels a little bit draconian, but I think a point deduction isn't over the top because I think a major problem with this is how he was so cheered as he went off. And, like, to a lot of Birmingham fans, this lad's going to be a hero. And that's and how is he not a hero if, if suddenly what he's done costs his team points? Because, I mean, the reaction from Birmingham fans about that prospect has been so so OTT, to be honest. As ever, it falls into... It's one of those areas where we can't... Y- we can't look at it as as being a solely individual thing. Like he he was obvi- he wouldn't have done that unless unless he felt some unless he felt that he was kind of representing the Birmingham fans as a whole. He wouldn't have done that if he if he wouldn't have done that if, if he thought he was going to face only opprobrium from the rest of the Birmingham fans. Like it is obviously, I do think that Birmingham City as a collective have some responsibility in this instance. That's well, that's why I do think that a sporting deduction might be the right punishment for him. Yeah, if it's not a points deduction, I think I, I think. You, they should make him play behind closed doors for like a significant amount of games. Not, I don't want one or two really. I think, I think the, the punishment needs to be severe. I think, obviously, the Arsenal Man United one that happened shortly afterwards. So that guy's been charged as well with um, invading the pitch and common assault. I think it was. But you know, I know the guy did not punch Chris Smalling. He he just kind of like pushed past him. I think you should give Arsenal a decent whack for that as well. To be honest, because. It's going to look very bad if you make Birmingham play five games behind closed doors and maybe lose two points and you do nothing to Arsenal for an incident which is only different basically by the force with which he touched the player. But he did touch the player. So at what point you know, do you say, OK, well, Arsenal actually, they don't get anything. They get like a £4,000 fine and a slap on the wrist. But then Birmingham get two points taken off and, and five games behind closed doors. You know, I think it's a very difficult line to toe. I don't think... That's a bad course of action. I wouldn't. I, cert- I certainly, you know, wouldn't be against that. I think what that will also do 
is is it'll turn him into a martyr. I, I mean, I think if Birmingham get banned from playing at St Andrews for the rest of the season and get a six-point ban, Birmingham fans will not turn their ire on this guy. They'll turn their ire on the EFL and the authorities. That's just inevitable. That That's, in many ways just the corollary of, of this kind of toxic tribalism that we've got in football that has always been sort of bubbling under the surface but but now is really kind of finding you know really you know it, it's hitting a, a sort of nadir or you know a nadir so far that the, the uh, i think there's a there's a role for you know that toxic masculinity has to play in this i mean this guy is clearly doing it because he wants to impress his mates and yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry. Now, do you see there's been something made of the insignia on his on the back of his shirt? Zulus. It's, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the, the old Birmingham City firm from the sort of bad old days of hooliganism. There so is an interesting uh, issue here, which Johnny touched on, which is to what extent is this a return to the dark ages? Like people say that, you know, the, this is just like it was in the old days. But I actually, I, w- I would be interesting to read more about that because I'm not sure that in the in the kind of bad old days you would get these kind of isolated incidents of fans running onto the pitch. That's because there are offences, that's why. Yeah. You know, it's, diff- it's a different... And one point that Jonathan Wilson made on exactly that today was that immediately after Hillsborough, there was, he said there was like an unwritten rule amongst fans that you wouldn't run onto the pitch because you knew that doing so would increase the chance of fences, uh, the fences coming back, which is the last thing you wanted. But that, you know, 30 years on after Hillsborough, that has kind of been forgotten now. And p- fans no longer feel that same sense that whatever happens, we mustn't allow fences to return. And that, as, as well as other things that Johnny was pointing to, have kind of like eroded the barrier between, like, not the physical barrier, but the kind of mental barrier between fans and players, between the stands and the pitch, which is what encourages people to go and do this kind of thing. There's definitely that. Yeah. And I think for a lot of them, you know, someone said to me, like, imagine if uh, some like Birmingham fan account had just tweeted on Saturday night. I'd love to punch Jack Grealish in the head and like how many people would have thought that was hilarious and, and funny and all that sort of stuff and basically this guy 1,000 retweets 2,000 yeah, likes precisely these people are acting out essentially what are like kind of football fan fantasies and, he, and he's he's actually been stupid enough brave enough whatever to, to act on it in the moment and has run on there and done it and I think that if, if that's the way we're going then you've got to use the tribalism to turn this on its head you've got to say Right, well, Birmingham are going to be deducted points. Birmingham are going to play games behind closed doors. And if you want to blame anyone, it's your, it's your man there, you know. And that is how you can encourage self-policing, I think. Because if it's going to materially affect the team's chances of, of success or, or survival or whatever, it depends what the circumstances are, then that's the only way you can get to these people, in my opinion. Like, I don't know how else you dissuade these copycat incidents from happening. And, you know... It, how can you say, like, the Arsenal thing yesterday, how can you say that wasn't a copycat incident necessarily? There is genuinely, I think, I remember reading this before, there's a, there's a psychological contagion to these things. So, And the fact that it's been three yeah. and four days, I think, illustrates this, that when one happens, there's a copycat and it escalates. And which is why yeah, I think yeah. it's, it, it's, a, it's a new problem in that yeah. regard. And, a, and another factor which is coming up more and more when you talk to people about this, and, you know, which we should say, we, we, there is no evidence that this is the case here, but we can suspect so. Recreational drugs... In fact, I was speaking to a sort of senior football official earlier who said to me that it is, quote, the massive elephant in the room is the number of people who go to games and take a lot of cocaine. And it's very difficult to, to police because people are not getting properly searched on their way into games. It's very difficult to stop at the games themselves because, you, of course, you need policemen in the toilets, in the cubicles to stop people from, from taking drugs. And, more, you know, far more than alcohol, or rather in in combination with alcohol, it it 
prompts people to go and do crazy stuff like this, like running on the pitch. And I don't, when, wherever it happens, if it's England, Scotland, or wherever, when you see somebody running onto the pitch in the middle of the day, and this is a midday kickoff, to swing a punch at someone, you have to suspect that drugs as well as alcohol are involved. Yeah. And, and which, again, is a, is a wider societal problem. Totally. And, you know, like when. Every time there's kind of a mass shooting, I'm, I'm obviously I'm not equating this to a, to a mass shoot, but every time there's, there's a mass shooting, uh, psychologists and sociologists go on, come on the news and talk about the media and, and how the, how these events are portrayed and how there is in, in many ways there's a kind of there's a real attraction to notoriety in in a way that. <clears throat> Maybe wasn't the case in the past, and yeah. this this I think comes from it's comes from so many different sources. Like we, we talk about, you know, the, the social fabric. You know, trade union membership is is down. You know, organised religion is on the on the decline. The political class is totally diseased. All the traditional founts of of I guess a kind of objective morality have sort of broken down. And so when any act can essentially is justifiable on a subjective basis then you're going to get stuff like this happening because notoriety is really just a kind of subjective notion and morality is, is you know, just a, you know, it, that's a subjective notion and kind of notoriety is a form of, as a form of leadership in a way. Yeah. And anybody gets to be infamous for 15 minutes. But also what's, what's the, you know, what are the rewards of these things? The rewards of these things are that, you know, people, you get it every summer when Love Island's on, for example. It's like, oh, more people apply to be on Love Island than apply to go to Cambridge or Oxford or whatever. It's like, yeah, brilliant. Okay, stupid comparison because, you know, it's all different age groups compared to one particular age group and all that sort of stuff. And it's a different amount of people you'd expect to go for that. But we're also currently in the thing, you know, this is just a byproduct of the exact age we're living in right now where if you are made, if you are famous for some reason and you can amass uh, like a, Hundred thousand followers on Instagram, whatever you can basically lock yourself in for at least a hundred k pounds a year in terms of earnings. Because what, what are you on, Mix? <laughs> He's got nothing on Instagram, has he? Uh, Instagram, like, like uh, Instagram is more. I, I can still basically put up photos of me getting drunk on Instagram because I don't have that many followers on it. <laughs> okay, so we won't, we won't say what the uh, username is. But um, you know, so, like, my other half works in, uh, in influencer marketing and stuff like that, and you know, they got people who are getting paid twenty grand a post to put stuff on Instagram mm. and all these sorts of things. And it is true that uh, fame slash notoriety slash people just knowing you, who you are is more valuable now than it's almost ever been. And I was I was doing a, an event recently with Paul Merson, and he's kind of that era where it was just before yeah. the footballers got really rich. And those guys are still. Uh, Merce turns up in a in a cab, like a mini cab, on his own. Turns up at the door. They ask if he's got a ticket. Like no one recognizes him. All that sort of stuff. He's just a like a very kind of normal bloke. And then a week later, I did the same thing with Robbie Savage, who's obviously worth millions and played in the right era just about the end of his career. He must have been earning, I guess, 50 grand a week, probably more. Uh, Blackburn, Birmingham, that sort of thing. So I think he was just in the right era and people like Merson were just in the wrong era. If you yeah. played in the Premier League now, surely you're going to have enough followers that even if you retire tomorrow, you're going to make money 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 mm. and it's the same with like if you are on TOWIE if you are on Made in Chelsea if you are on these shows as soon as you're on mm. as soon as you amass that following money will follow and if I mean I, I don't think this guy is going to make the most of it but fame is now a prize almost that you can tangibly cash in on better than ever before if you're just a normal person I think and that kind of contributes to some weird behaviour well, 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 I, mean, be, I mean given so much connected to social media and, I mean the other side of it maybe a more basic side is that uh, some of this as well is the kind of the, the nature of 
of online debate spilling into into spilling into the tangible into the real world basically it's you know it's all it's all like the extreme tribalism you now see with any discussion of football online it's got almost a, you know a, a physical manifestation of that should we i mean from, from extreme tribalism shall we move on to liverpool in the champions league yeah. champions league week where 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 is everybody? Well, actually, someone asked you actually just oh, uh, go on, go on. just related to this. Someone asked me yesterday if Birmingham get docked points, then what what do you think should have happened to Liverpool for the bus attack last year, or the the bus vandalism at Man, C- at Man City? Should have got them a new boss. A yep. new boss, I would say. That's 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 the fair punishment. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, the, the, that, there's been a lot of revisionism on that. Uh, kind of, it was Man City's fault for taking a different route, or. It was only one bottle of Copperberg or whatever, you know. I, I think that was a was a pretty poor reflection on Liverpool. I think it's just because it was there's not there's been nothing since or before that, so you can put it down to being an isolated incident. Bus diesel can't melt steel beams. Uh, yes, and there's no conspiracy behind it. But we should talk Champions League, Johnny. You are correct. And tomorrow is Juve Atletico, which you're going to be at. Yes. What yeah. game that'll be? Uh, yeah, it should be great. I mean, Juventus two uh, 0 down from the first leg. Really, I mean, played played pretty badly I, I, I think um and yet you know they, they they're still in it no they, they have they have are uh, they in it you think, you I, think, think they're they're, yeah. I think they're in it you know they, they get an early goal uh they're really pinning their hopes on ronaldo i mean a, a lot of the 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 turin media a lot of the italian media uh has been sort of playing up the the chance of, of, of ronaldo sort of making a, a real decisive performance in this game and and at a time when his output in the champions league has probably never been less prolific i think it's something like one in one goal in his last nine champions league games and uh and, and now it's it's really kind of you know he's having a lot of hopes invested in him so it's 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 going to be a pretty interesting game for, the, for those reasons jack pitt brook i believe you're going to be writing about man city schalke uh i think that one's done and dusted but what about you yeah, I'd be really surprised if City screwed it up. I was in Gelsenkirchen for the first leg where City didn't really deserve to win but still won 3-2. I think City are kind of... We, we saw this against Watford on Saturday. They're, they're at a level of sustained high performance now that makes me... Which would make it a massive surprise if they were to screw it up. Schalke are also not very good. We can't yeah. forget that. If you had to put a percentage chance on a quadruple right now, what would you, what would you put it at? Well, the other day I saw that it was 10 to 1 and I thought mm, 10 to 1 actually seems a bit short. But then maybe, I don't know, I'd say like mid-single figures, high single figures of percentage. They've already completed the quadruple of investigations, haven't they? Between five, to, I'd say yeah, between it's, like, it's, let's say 7%. It's, it's probably right because ultimately, to complete, when you, when you really think about it, a quadruple, like a, a, a feat of such power and uh, it's it's so fragile though because it, all it just takes is one game to go around one bad game one bad bounce and and, and that's it we and give I, them like a 67 percent chance of winning the league right maybe yeah. more more Six, better than 50 percent uh, 60 i'd better say 50 yeah. chance of winning the fa cup or maybe 50 percent yeah i think i think they'll chance of winning the fa cup yeah and then maybe a one in five one in six chance of of, of winning the champions league that is about one in 16, 17, yeah. isn't it? That's about 5, 6%. Yeah. And then, I guess, Miguel, Liverpool-Bayern is, is the big one for you this week. Wednesday, is that? Yeah. In Munich. Um, Bayern, like Barca, Real Madrid, and, and many of the great European clubs, have terrific songs that they play about yeah. the club. <laughs> um, F- FC Bayern, Stende Suden is our favourite. Yeah. Uh, how do you see that going? Oh, we've only got about two minutes left before we need to go, but... 
talk to us about Bayern Liverpool. Well, it's, I think it's quite an interesting one in that it's a, a very rare these days match that comes in from nil all from the first leg. In fact, it's one of only four in the last four years of um, of knockout football in Champions League. And uh, one of those last year was by Mourinho. The other one was this year with Barcelona Leon. And it's quite. I think it's interesting. I mean, it's something I've been thinking a lot actually. The last two Champions League seasons because it's been so chaotic. But the old caginess that used to be that kind of t- really, really kind of tight tactical awareness seems to kind of disappeared from European football in that way. And um, and it's, it's, so it's gonna, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this game responds in that sense and whether it be as chaotic, I suppose, as uh, as some of the football we saw last week. Barca Leon. I'm hoping that Barca get through, but Leon have got a good young team as well. Um, if they do, who do you fancy from Liverpool by? And you think Liverpool got the edge, or it's really fifty-fifty that tie? I think um, I couldn't split. I couldn't split. I might just go Liverpool, just because I almost fancy them to get an away goal and spook Bayern a bit. And Bayern, Bayern started that that game well, but gradually receded, and, and they're still a bit off, even though they've they've roped in a collapsing Dortmund. My take watching that in the pub was that. Uh, the longer it went on, the more likely it was that Liverpool would win it on away goals in the second leg, mm. uh, because you know it's obviously easier for them because any score draw sends them through. However, I wonder whether their declining league form means that they might chuck it on Wednesday. Like no, they, don't, they won't chuck it surely. Just because they need they they need to save their title their title push and having two extra games, if not four or even five extra games after the international break, would make that probably less likely rather than more likely. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think Liverpool were probably 51-49 favourites, but it, I think it's incredibly tight, that one. And uh, like you say, it's the away goal. is the only thing that makes me think that they're slightly slightly on top. Um, either way, it should be uh, thrilling stuff. Thank you, gents, for joining me. Um, I'm going to be away for the next two weeks, unfortunately, because I have um, two weddings to attend in America. Uh, so the guys will take care of all our dear listeners in, in the meantime. You're away next week as well, yeah. Uh, Miguel's, Miguel's away next week, and and Jack's got a, a trip coming up. I'm away the following week. Is it, well, so you you'll be listening to a, a 55 minute monologue uh, from from me. Uh, at some point. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll get we'll get Lukey in here to do some more shilling for Jose Mourinho or whatever. Um, and until then, any other business that people would like to raise before we go? No, I think that's it. All we need to do is remember to read and subscribe. Independent.co.uk/slash/football. Uh, the podcast obviously is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Every kind of podcatcher that everybody likes to listen to. Oh, are, we, are we are we plugging beer again this week, or, or is that? Uh, yeah, but it's, I think it's like an automated thing. Uh, oh, okay, I'll explain right. it off air, but it's uh, like there's some sort of technical stuff I have to do. Okay. But uh, I believe whichever beer we're plugging by it. Beer fifty three dot com forward slash indie. Uh, I think was the address and if not then we'll see you next week when Johnny will correct it Uh, thank you to Jack thank you to Miguel thank you to Johnny thank you to everyone who uh, is working for us this week on the Champions League it should be a thrilling week make sure you stay tuned and we will see you next time goodbye A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.